This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. ...survey courses, and so we are, um, in our survey courses, we don't usually spend tons of time talking about diseases, but there are some that really stick out, right, because they've had a major impact on history. And so uh, we're going to kind of talk back and forth about how some of those diseases has shaped the way the societies have grown, um, that how maybe the impact that the deaths have had on that society, how it's shaped the governments and shaped the politics and perhaps some of the policies that have come out of it. So we'll be talking about things ranging from the Black Death to the AIDS virus, even a little bit maybe talking about some of the more recent ones, like your H1N1, and there's always some kind of new mutant strain of something coming out, and how does that affect how we live? So... Um, do you want to start with perhaps maybe talking about, you want to go through kind of a list, Jim, of, of some of the different ones and then, and then maybe... Uh... So, so we can do... Is this on? So we can do your sort of top ten list of diseases. <laughs> you can cheer if you have a favorite, right? Yeah. Uh, so one of the earliest well-recorded outbreaks is late Roman Empire. It's called Justinian's Plague because it occurred during the reign of Justinian in the 6th century. And it's, it's somewhat... It, there's a lot of controversy. Did it help the Western Empire fall, and to what extent? There's, of course, the ever-popular Black Death, uh, <laughs> right? the Black Plague of 1348 to 1350. Never goes out of style. Um, no, goes out of style. And, and there are subsequent outbreaks. I mean, a lot of these, too, it's important to remember that where you might have one really disastrous sort of upheaval, such as, you know, like a World War Z kind of thing, they come back. You know, the, many of these diseases have subsequent outbreaks throughout, that, and people just sort of follow this same blueprint of hysteria. Um, you have the outbreak when Cortez shows up in the Americas and brings smallpox and, and influenza with him, which is 1519 to 1521, which there's, again, how decimating was it? Well, we don't even have written records, so they're not sure. You know, it may have killed off 30 million people. Um, you have, following on that, there's a smaller outbreak that could be quite disastrous in North America in 1775 to 1782, again, smallpox. Uh, you have the Spanish influenza at the end of the First World War, 1918. Um, you have the AIDS epidemic, which could be considered easily a global pandemic. Polio? Did I miss any of the Polio? Hmm? Polio, absolutely, which again has a, a... But again, there's that's an interesting one if you think about it, because there's no sort of focused outbreak period. You know, like we can put years to a lot of these, but polio ra rages through right. the 20th century. Still out, it's still yeah. out there now. Yeah. Yeah. That, one of the things I was just reading, actually, was how um, they were close to, in 2010, I think it was, they were within 200 cases of actually eradicating polio. Polio was considered eradicated um, in this country in, by, seven, by 1979, but that it's continued to plague uh, countries more in the developing world, namely uh, Nigeria, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. And uh, the WHO, the World Health Organization, um, working with actually Rotary International. Rotary International was an NGO, a non-governmental organization in this country that helped, uh, helped lead to the eradication in, in the United States. But they were really close to coming within 200 cases of, of killing it off. But 
Um, a lot of, um, you mentioned before, Jim, about mass hysteria. Um, there was concern, and I'll get to why there was a little justification for it, um, by some of, of clerics in, in countries like Pakistan and Nigeria, that the, this was a Western influence thing. These vaccines that were being brought in, these immunizations, were either, either HIV infected or they were some other type of plague that was designed to hurt that population. This is a, a Western threat. And so they put a stop to the workers there. And in Pakistan, several years ago, I think about six WHO workers were shot and killed. And so they, came, they were super close to getting rid of it, and then it started raging again and jumped to about 16 different countries. And now they're trying to get back to where they're kind of bringing it under control. But it's interesting how this, this fear, of, and what, they talked to one parent who said that his six-month-old daughter, he wanted to get her vaccinated, but he believed the cleric who told him, don't get her vaccinated. This is, a, this is just a, um, a Western conspiracy to hurt your child. And now she's, she's paralyzed. One of the few that is that, you know, because not every person that gets polio um, is paralyzed after. But um, that's kind of an example right there of how this is a disease that we think in this country is totally gone. It's been eradicated, but it's still it's still raging in other parts of the world. And you bring up a good point, too. When you, when you, like a lot of times popular perceptions and, and that definitely comes across the theme in the World War Z book where the way people perceive what the disease is doing has a huge influence. Right. They have no actual connection. In, uh, vaccination's a big one. When they have smallpox in, the, in North America in the 1770s and 80s is one of the first times they start vaccinating. Unlike modern vaccinations, they were using active bacilli, which means right. they're basically getting the disease and pricking you with it. The idea being a minor exposure, your, body, your immune system will handle it as opposed to mm -hmm. a, you know, an unplanned exposure. But a lot of people ran away from, you know, didn't want anything to do with that at all. And in the Black Death, there are a lot of instances where people are, you know, uh, well, abandoning the cities, for one. Mm -hmm. um, you know, breathing only through perfume scarves, wearing amulets, any kind of, right. any kind of sort of remedy. Was a good yeah. one. Good remedy. The amulet. Yeah. <laughs> well, and in some towns with the Black Death, they started killing a lot of cats and dogs with the idea of we think this is being transmitted through the cats and dogs. Uh, and so they start killing them, which means the rodent population, which was actually where it was coming from with the fleas on the rodents, grew. So what they were trying to do as part of this hysteria of this might be it, so let's stop this, you know, really dramatic responses, uh, they're actually making the problem much worse mm -hmm. uh, in their attempts to fix it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think these sort of perceptions and, and realities are always a very interesting thing with this. Um, probably one of the most famous works on. Uh, oh, okay. Probably one of the most famous works on uh, the Spanish flu, of course, which doesn't originate, you know, in, in <laughs> Spain. <laughs> that, that would be one thing to at least note with that. Uh, is you know the the perception of it. You know, when you hear the phrase plague. You know, most folks go, wait, what? Uh, no, what do I have to do to not get plagued? <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, I have a cold or I'm getting the flu, have flu-like symptoms, you know. This is something that most folks usually aren't that afraid of, as it were. Mm -hmm. uh, we tend to have less sort of perceptive-based social fear uh, as opposed to things like, you know, bubonic plague. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what you mentioned the Spanish influenza, I think, which okay, did not originate in Spain. One right. of the things I read was that they, they, they were calling, they call it, and diseases always get names that are not necessarily attributed to the country they actually come from. Yeah. Um, but in this, wasn't it because the Spanish were talking about it 
before the Western press was talking about because they were censoring yeah. um, a lot of it. But oh, God, yeah, the Spanish aren't, aren't, aren't as actively involved in in the First World War as say France or England are, and so it, yeah, it gets greater popularity within the Spanish press, and right. so ergo uh, they start to sort of believe that it sort of originates in Spain, that right. it sort of flew over the mountains on into France, <laughs> as those types of things are apt to do, of course. Oh, yeah. well, wasn't it too that the, the king of Spain was yeah, he got had it, he got and so the press advisors. was running this sort of serialized version of what's the health status of the king, <laughs> so it got a lot of play in their, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In their media. I think with the Spanish influenza, too, what, what makes it so different, and when you mentioned the idea of this plague being so severe, like you're not going to use the word plague. We wouldn't think today when we think of the flu, like you said, as being plague, but it was really targeting people that were between like 20 and 40. Like when we think about, the, pl- about the, the flu today, right, who do they tell you to get? Who needs to get their flu vaccine most of all? Older people, right? And, and, and babies, because they're the most susceptible. But what we saw with the Spanish influenza were, were people like a lot of men in the army, right, between 20 and 40, who found themselves to be most susceptible. And one of the things I read said that because they felt that it was, it was um, that they're, um, immu- the, the reason that they think it was attacking people that normally would be so healthy was that basically the person's immune system ended up attacking itself, which therefore then made people that were healthy, such as people your age, much more susceptible, which I don't think you usually see that with any other, most other plagues or diseases usually affect people that are the most vulnerable, like the, the infirmed or, or the very young. You do, and the rapidity with which it would be able to sort of spread mm-hmm. and be able to, to kill you was, you know, I had been unheard of. Right. I mean, when it comes to the surveys and comes to, to some of these courses, I mean, the Spanish influenza generally is relatively disregarded. Uh, of it, it receives maybe a chapter, not a chapter, it's a maybe page a, or two. a, a page, <laughs> if we're lucky, maybe a paragraph uh, in a mention. You know, this is something that kills, at least to the best of our knowledge, at least 600,000 people in the United States right. between 1918 and 1919, and then there's another small wave of it again in 1920, but it's relatively, again, disregarded. But at least 600,000 people, that's comparable to what you're seeing with the Civil War. But we get a little paragraph. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. it. Of Yeah, you yeah. have you know, young men in the Army who are dropping dead in 12 hours. Right. Uh, and you know, they, they didn't know why. Right. Yeah. And, was, and, and the estimates, because they don't necessarily know how many people it killed worldwide, it spread everywhere. It wasn't right. just in the United States. It was right. going to remote corners of China, remote corners. And, and the estimates are anywhere from 25 million up to, I've even read 50 million, but I don't know, that sounds a little, a little much. But yeah, part of the reason is that, yeah. and even Part of the reason was that they couldn't, like, let's say if they weren't able to keep track of records as well to find out how many died, the, wor- the people that were actually treating the sick also dropped dead themselves. So they really could not get an accurate account of, of how many people that it was. Um, so that and alone, when you, th- when you think about the scope of that, I think it's really hard to think of how many people is 20 million. But when you think about the people that are in this room, if we were looking at this many, and I, this is going to sound awful macabre, but this many body bags lying down, this would seem astounding to most of us. And then take that into account, think, try to imagine the idea of 20 million in your head. That's like, what, two Chicagos and its surrounding areas? It's, it's one in three people at one point was, was imagined to have uh, some type of variation of influenza at that time. But I do want to mention, I'm sorry, okay. that, of course, the most famous person that ever got influenza was Edward Cullen from Twilight, who was dying from that when he became a vampire in the Twilight series. Had to throw that out there. That's the only time I can ever mention Twilight in an American history class, and I usually get groans and, you know, audible signs of disgust from people that I'm actually talking about Twilight in a class. <laughs> 
I am impressed. Yes, yes. I thought I made esoteric connections. Yes, thank goodness he became a vampire, though he would have succumbed to the terrible Spanish influenza. (laughs) Another way to to sort of to think about it, because you're you're mentioning before before Twilight these sort of uh, (laughs) my valid points for sort of comparable you know sort of sizes of of things of you know even if we split the difference so you know minimum you know maybe 25 million because we don't know and some of it is that you know some of these individuals who were dying were were misdiagnosed of you know, was it influenza? Was it uh, pneumonia? Was it sort of consumption? You know, sort right. of these other th- types of things that they're calling these things. Uh, you know, even if we sort of almost have it, you know, because some estimates say it's as high as 100. If you say it's, you know, nearly 40 or 50 million, uh, and oh, sorry about that, <laughs> and you know, 40 or 50 million, uh, you're looking at that in terms of a comparable number to basically, well, World War II. Right. You know, we're looking right. at World War II. Uh, and if it goes as high as the 50 or even 100, that puts it even worse than uh, eight, mm-hmm. uh, high in terms mm-hmm. of numbers, mm-hmm. obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it puts it in worse uh, numbers than, than the Black Death, although similarly, mm-hmm. you know, we're not it's exactly so sure how yeah. many individuals died. So, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Wikipedia would put that at 100 million. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and Josh just mentioned the AIDS virus, and that's probably what, I mean, for you guys, you've grown up in a society where you, you know about everyone wears red ribbons because December 1st is World AIDS Day. You're all very aware of it. You're all very educated about it. You know how, how it's caught. You've been, you've been given that education. And I think it's, it's maybe um, important to talk a little bit about what the country was like when the AIDS virus came out and the mass hysteria that surrounded it. Like, I remember I was a kid in the 1980s, and I remember people were so afraid. First of all, it was referred to as the gay cancer because it was spreading so rapidly within the gay community because it was spread oftentimes in bathhouses when you know, men were having unprotected sex and it would, it would transmit quickly. And so a lot of the first cases that were coming out were uh, in, in the gay community. And the, the, the hatred and the bigotry that was coming out as a result of that, people saying, well, this is God's retribution on them and, you know, too bad. And then a young boy, uh, a hemophiliac by the name of Ryan White, who was 11 years old, um, was diagnosed with the AIDS virus. And obviously he was a young boy, so he wasn't getting it from having unprotected sex in, in, a, in a bathhouse. Um, he got it from needles, or from uh, the blood supply, because the blood supply was tainted. And they were not testing the blood supply to see, and, and they were having a difficulty time getting a good, accurate test for it even. Um, and this put kind of a human face on AIDS. People, I remember, I'm sure you guys could talk about it too, right? Like people being afraid to let their kids go to a playground, people afraid to let their kids drink out of a drinking fountain because they were so afraid that their child was going to contract AIDS. Ryan White wasn't allowed to go to school for about, I think, about a year. Um, they, people were, were petitioning the courts to keep him out of school because he had this disease. Um, but when he, came, when he came out with it, when it emerged that he had it, it put a totally different spin on it. And then suddenly uh, they were able to petition Congress uh, to get a little bit more money and funding towards AIDS research because once while it was only perceived as a gay disease, nothing was open. The President, Ra- President Reagan did not even use the word for there were mil- at this point there were hundreds of thousands of cases of AIDS, and I think it wasn't until eighty was it eighty five that he actually said it publicly, but they couldn't even get him to refer to the disease publicly, and I think one of the the things that had a major impact on Ronald Reagan was that a good friend of his, um, an actor, a fellow, because Ronald Reagan was a former Hollywood actor, not a very good one, that's a personal opinion, I'm just going to throw that out there, but he was, um, and he was president of the Screen Actors Guild, and one of his very good friends was Rock Hudson, who was a, a Hollywood leading guy, 
well-known, you know, in so many movies, and it emerged that not only was he, he was homosexual, but he also had contracted the AIDS virus. And I think that kind of really was an eye-opener um, for a lot of people because, again, here was this beloved, iconic figure, and it came out that he had AIDS. And, again, though, the hysteria. Remember when Rock Hudson was on Dynasty, on an episode of Dynasty, which is an old, good old soap opera that was on, on uh, uh, ABC, I believe? And there was a scene where he was supposed to kiss his co-star, Linda Evans, and people were freaking out. Oh, my God, a man with AIDS is going to kiss a woman on TV. Is she going to get the AIDS virus from kissing him? And it, was, it got all these viewers. Well, at the time, we only had like three channels, so you, had, you didn't have too many options besides you know, CBS, NBC, and ABC, but it got a huge audience. Um, and that also brings to mind someone like uh, Princess Diana, who was one of the first people to be photographed shaking hands with people who had AIDS without, without a glove on because she was trying to put a human face to it, that, you know, people were being treated just inhumanely because there was so, so much of a lack of education about the disease. And I can go on and on, but I don't know if any of you want to chime in there too. But. I mean, I think that that does cross each of the different conflagrations that, we've, that we kind of mentioned here, that there is a fair amount of scapegoating. People are ostracized from mm-hmm. the community mm-hmm. to, because it's, they're, they're perceived as threatening. And, and again, that's one of the themes that comes across. In the, now, granted, I, I personally would find a zombie slightly more threatening. <laughs> but but I, think, I think it also, though, if, if, you, if you pause and think about it, you know, it's the way people re- react to a disease that they don't understand. Where scientific knowledge is lacking, hysteria has mm-hmm. room to take over. Mm-hmm. And you see that repeated again and again throughout history. Yeah. You know, people... Um, and, and another one of the things that it touches upon is as understanding grows within the society, you know, people respond differently. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. And, you know, instead of, instead of killing the plague victims to get rid of the plague or burning <laughs> them or what have you, you know, now we call in medical, you know, we call in the EMTs, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but another theme that, that kind of popped up to, as you were talking about it is sort of that idea of the society before and after, yeah. you know, and how... Like in the aftermath, and and sometimes, I mean, this can be a lot of gloom and doom, certainly, but there are positives, you know. When these outbreaks hit, they do tend to propel medical research. Mm -hmm. They tend to propel medical practice. The smallpox epidemic of 1775 to 82 makes vaccination basically a standard response. It's, it's, it's a cutting-edge technique, and again, a lot of people refuse it, but as time goes on, they start to find that, hey, the people who've been vaccinated have a better survival rate, and once you've experienced this milder, watered-down form of the disease, you're now immune to right. it. There's a lot of positives here. You know, um, so you start to see those alterations take place in, in the societal reaction. Like in Abigail Adams, didn't she vaccinate her kids against, mm-hmm. against smallpox? Yeah. And that's, that was pretty, uh, pretty scary, too, the idea of actually having to infect your kids with a live virus um, and then try to wait and hopefully that they don't get it and they don't die from it. I mean, yeah. that's it's a pretty scary, pretty scary thing. Um, is, is, if I say something else? Or sure. Okay. So the idea, uh, as you were mentioning, too, about the effect of AIDS on society, too, right? Like, how many of you all have ever done a breast cancer walk or seen the, the, pink, the, the, the pink ribbons? Everything's pink, right? All that comes from, also, the AIDS virus. Um, the, this notion of, of becoming, of transforming the way that we, that we look at, at disease. There was very, I don't remember at least too many ever like walks or runs or, or charitable um, drives. I mean, there, people tried to collect money like with polio and things like that to try to, to, try to help uh, eradicate the disease, but not like it is now. 
you have so many different things, whether it's Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, or whether it's, it's breast cancer, or whether it's, um, again, AIDS, or um, whatever, whatever it might be, I, you know, children's cancer, whatever, whatever it might be. We have, we've, I think all of us are so much more aware of, of this because of what happened with the AIDS virus. Um, and that, that people then, um, and it actually, it did, a lot of it started with, with celebrities, too. Um, Magic Johnson was uh, the, an NBA player who came out and announced in 1991 that he had contracted HIV. And, again, that was another kind of transformative moment when this was um, a, a heterosexual celebrity. You know, this was not Rock Hudson, who deserved it, as many people said, because he was gay and got AIDS, um, announced that he, that he had the disease. And, again, it put, more, it put a different human face on it and also then called for even more amounts of research. So, um, yeah, question? Uh-huh. Well, the drugs that they have now basically enable people. They actually, there was one case in Germany, I believe, of a man that was believed to, they believed to have eradicated the AIDS virus in him. They can find no trace of it anywhere in him. But in terms of, I mean, people now, when you got AIDS in the 80s, it was a death sentence. That was it. You were, you were, you were gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and now when people contract HIV, and I wonder also sometimes if the education has been so good that people almost are, not, are no longer afraid of it. It's almost like the, the education has done such a good job that people no longer fear it um, because the drugs that are out there allow people to basically live a relatively normal, healthy life. So, um, you know, definitely the technology has helped for sure. But the medical research was propelled by the disease. So, I mean, you, can, you kind of get into this circular pattern with mm-hmm. it where, you know, we have much greater medical technology in a lot of these instances because there was this urgent need. And I think one of the other things that we've seen happen with, with respect to AIDS um, has been a sort of move away from, like, a lot of the other diseases that we were talking about, talking about that are real scourges like polio and smallpox. Mm-hmm. Governments made a concerted effort right. and just dumped money into let's come up with a cure. Once they had a cure, it was let's let's get rid of this thing. Um, whereas you know because there were all these other social con- social connotations, right. beginning with the AIDS epidemic, yeah. it moved away from the government uh, fo- focus to a more private sector yes. and voluntary mm-hmm. NGO type of mm-hmm. approach to mm-hmm. confronting it. Yeah. Celebrities like, oh, sorry, go ahead, John. Oh, no, no, I was going to sort of build off of that of, you know, even back before of concentrated uh, medical research, you know, yeah. you could really relate even to, to influenza of the, that as this sort of is beginning, the government sort of saying, all right, we need to, to really focus on this idea of public health. Uh, we need to focus on this idea of, of coordinated research to develop appropriate sort of responses. Uh, and, you know, even before that, and I'm, I'm sure you, you, know, you could almost speak to this as well, uh, of, say, coordinated uh, organizational structures to combat disease and things such as, say, militaries. Uh, uh, you know, the United States Sanitary Commission, uh, you know, during the Civil War, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. would be a great example yeah. of that. So not just necessarily an, an outbreak, but a sort of general conflict or conflagration that sort of leads to, uh, you know, a response on the part of institutions. Mm-hmm. You have a question? You're referencing a disease that, that's an outbreak of a disease currently in Egypt? 
that you said is spreading rapidly and that they cannot, they don't know what, they don't know what it is? I don't know. I, I don't know about anything that's current there. I do know that the, the Egyptian government worked closely with authorities to actually, they've got, they eradicated the polio virus in, in, in Egypt because they were trying to, they, they actually worked with organizations to do it, but I don't know of any current, I don't have anything right now. Um, sorry. <laughs> other, other, yeah, other questions? questions? Yes, sir. Definitely. I mean, there's there, look at the if you look at even the content of Africa, right? You know, the AIDS virus is still very prevalent there, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, because they don't have the access to, to a lot of the drugs that. And so there's been efforts made by a lot, a lot again by private philanthropic organizations like the Bill, the Bill and Melinda Gates organization um, to, to bring those drugs there. Also, though, what what does not help the situation though is that you also have superstitions too you know you uh, not, not only just superstitions but even in some countries like uganda where you had the catholic church um totally coming out against uh the advocation of condom use uh where the government wanted to give out condoms uh, to people and because what, what you were seeing happen in places like sub-saharan africa was that you'd have you know workers who might be going and working at a mine uh, men would be working in a mine throughout the week and then were not always going home uh to their families so what do they do on the weekends for fun? Well, let's go visit the local brothel, you know, and then you end up getting, you know, the clap or some kind of terrible disease that, that from, from the local prostitute, and then you take it home and give it, give it to your wife. And so, and then the wife then gives it to the next baby that comes along. And so you saw it spread that way. And so you actually, in, in some sub-Saharan African countries, you saw um, uh, resistance to even get those drugs out there and, and, and even, even, forget even the drugs, just even condoms that would help prevent the use. Um, so there are other, sometimes other forces uh, at bay out there to preventing, preventing um, that outreach from getting there. Well, That's even, a good question. Even when you go back to the Black Death, the plague, you know, the plague, um, if you look at statistics with England, uh, working class people, the, it, it's estimated about 40% of working class died. Uh, but if you look at the entire country, it's about a third of the population. And so if you're amongst the very, very wealthy who are escaping to the countryside, as I think Jim had mentioned, where there's still some deaths amongst the nobility, absolutely. Uh, and it varies depending on where you're at, just even within England. But just you know, looking at social groups, the working class get hit much harder uh, than, than some others. Mm -hmm. But there's positive outcomes with it, too, since I've got it to more older history where I can contribute. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Got to get my voice in here some. Uh, there's some positive outcomes that come with it, too. I mean, you have uh, more men with the plague uh, in England die than women, um, partly because of <laughs> activities. <laughs> well, it changes law codes. Women get more legal rights because of this, because now you have more widows. What, how are you going to support the widows? It's during this time period that you see the development, and you can see this positive or negative. You have lawyers uh, where they're doing property law, where it's a, it's a brand new occupation, and they're kind of figuring it out as they go. Uh, but part of what they're having to do is come up with, well, how do we take care of all of these widows uh, and, and the laws that are going to go with that? Because on one estate, if we're looking at gentry, right, so kind of upper class, they don't have a title, uh, you might have three widows draining the funds away uh, because of the rights that they have uh, through these 
through this. But it is giving women more legal rights, mm-hmm. which I view as positive. Right. Uh, and so, you know, when you're looking, you know, with these things, you know, for, for us who are teaching it, a lot of times you're looking for what can we find that's positive in here. <laughs> because otherwise it's just so depressing. Because it is, it's heartbreaking, you know, to, to see what these, these family members are going mm-hmm. through and, and experiencing. Um, you know, even when it's a plague and a lot of people are dying, it's still your kid or your husband mm-hmm. or your parent or, you know, it's, it's still very mm-hmm. emotional mm-hmm. Uh, in all of that. Absolutely. And I think another, building off of what you said, another thing that, that can contribute to survival in each, and especially in the older cases, the wealthy tend to have more access to food. Mm-hmm. And you find out, like, you know, we're saying working class, peasants, usually in the, with the plague and also with Cortez and the Spanish in the Americas, there's malnutri- malnutrition is rampant through the peasants. So even those who would have had a chance, who might have had some natural immunity or who could have you know, maybe mollified some of the effects, their immune systems are already weakened. It's like you get a kind of perfect storm of conditions a lot of times, too, that makes these events so catastrophic. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned before about, about you know, putting a sympathetic kind of face on it, the, the idea that you know, it is someone's father or brother or sister or mother or whoever. And I think one of the positive things is that technology that we have today does enable us to put more of a sympathetic face on things than we ever would be able to see, yeah. right? And even if you go back, it just brought to mind uh, someone like Franklin Roosevelt uh, with polio. Now, and of course, I mean, I think most of you know this, of course, Franklin Roosevelt was, was stricken with polio in the 1920s, could, did not have the use of his legs, although he had uh, a, a great people around him that helped him cover up the fact that he could not walk, right? When did you, you ever saw him photographed? He's usually in a car like this or at a podium standing up gripping the podium or very rarely did you see him um, um, in, you know, I think there's only maybe one or two photographs of him actually yeah. uh, uh, seen as, as incapacitated yeah, yeah. Um, and so we and yet here was this president that puts I always ask my students you know will we ever could we ever elect a, a, a president in a wheelchair um, and my, my students most of them I think tend to say pretty positively yes and, I, and, I, and we think to ourselves this is a guy who served four terms he served the longest out of any US president and he was in a wheelchair stricken by this terrible disease um, but anyway I'm starting to digress on that but I, the, with polio I think affecting so many people too I think it also put more of a sympathetic face on even the plight of the handicapped so then we have in this country in 1990 the passage of, of the Americans with Disabilities Act right. which means that every public place has got to have wheelchair accessible facilities so every you know whenever you have that bathroom that we always use when we're not supposed to because there's nothing else open right um, it, it's made with a wider capacity to accommodate a wheelchair um, that that's from the Americans with Disabilities Act and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that you had so many people that were were affected by disability and one of those was polio and one of those the most famous victim of that happens to be um, our former president so um, that's something to I think also to keep in mind too I think something to to add would be that, yeah, I mean, I don't know about all of you, but I I as well look for positives when it comes to to certain parts of of history. What positives can I necessarily put on something because they are so bad? But I also sort of run into, okay, I don't know if I necessarily always want the positive to be as well the the overarching sort of takeaway theme Mm -hmm. of, you know, wasn't this necessarily good? Now, I, I hope that I temper that well, but... Maybe other forces like Hollywood, you know, maybe doesn't always sort of temper that that well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the the one image that is coming to my head is, say, for example, anything that 
we or myself would be able to do when it comes to telling the story of, say, Jamestown and the experience mm -hmm. of, of Jamestown mm -hmm. uh, and, and what Hollywood is able to do with, you know, its Disney films and those types of things <laughs> of, you know, 75% of every settler who came to Jamestown in the first 10 years all died. Uh, you know, there is, there is terrible disease. Uh, there is terrible privation. Uh, there are documented cases of cannibalism. Uh, but, of course, if we, you know, make a nice musical out of it and, you know, get some talking <laughs> raccoons, I mean, it's fine. <laughs> you know, it's all right. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to try to sort of, you know, uh, there are positives, obviously, mm -hmm. but you have to you know, view it on a spectrum, I guess, is the point that I'm sort of trying to say. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. And if you want to comment on that, the idea of trying to put, put a positive, positive spin on it. I guess the one positive spin I can think about was, you know, cholera was affecting uh, um, the state of Illinois quite a bit because, you know, we were putting all of our waste, dumping it into our, our drinking source, and then drinking the water afterwards, which is always awesome. But what did we end up doing? I think it's, it, 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 it kind of um, it speaks to the audacity and the ingenuity of, of people in this state that they decided that, well, instead of us you know, necessarily worrying about maybe cleaning up the water, let's just move the waste on down to another state. So then they, they built the sanitary and ship canal. They dredged it so that basically the force of gravity would pull the, the, for, the Chicago River backwards so that no longer – we basically reversed the flow of the Chicago River so that no longer was our, our waste contaminating the lake that we were drinking out of. So we made lots of friends in places like you know East St. Louis and <laughs> other people who were downriver from us. But uh, at the same time, you have a major engineering feat that, that reversed the river. I don't think if you've just heard – I just heard talk recently about them discussing actually – Re-reversing that flow, which I, I don't know if that. that's yeah, yeah. That. I don't know if that's going to happen. But any any thought about Jim about putting a positive spin on uh, on plagues and <laughs> death? <laughs> I, I should point out that it's actually a, a part of all of our contracts as historians here at Moraine Valley <laughs> that we must all hate the Disney movie Pocahontas <laughs> with a passion, as our students have probably noted already. Yes. Um, uh, it's the best um, ever. Positives. I mean, well, the plague, also, the, the the plague, the black plague, also <laughs> does work to undermine the feudal system, which is, mm -hmm. I think, a good thing. Um, and again, you know, you, it, it's it, it's a tough balance. It's a tough calculus to work through because you're looking at a lot of oftentimes profoundly useful and and wonderful benefits that come from medical science, but. And, and you have to ask, you know, would you have the AIDS drugs? And many of many, I'm sure a lot of the research that went into those drugs spun off into other categories that benefit a lot of us. Mm -hmm. Would you have that emphasis if you didn't have this horrible disease at the beginning? Yeah, right. You know, so you do get this sort of mixed bag of consequences along with it. Um, and I think that's like one thing that you can say with surety is that the society on the other side of, of whatever the the medical cataclysm is, is profoundly different than, than what went in before, um, just with their, med you know, with their understanding of medical care. These superstitions that we talk about, after, you know, after whatever disease makes its way through and people start to understand, oh, isn't that great? We have this scientific enlightenment. Well, yeah, but we didn't have that going in, you know, and the reason we had, you know, the reason we attained it was because we were forced by circumstance to achieve that or else the society probably wouldn't survive, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So, again, you're, you're thrust back on this idea of finding a balance. And I think, you know, going taking this back to the book that we're supposed to connect it to, <laughs> um, 
so I can make Troy smile in the back. <laughs> uh, but, but taking this back to the book, I think that's one of the sort of sub-themes that falls out. It's like society is different. And, for, and some, people, uh, some colleagues I've talked to who read the book thought, wow, you know, some of the things that they're doing, uh, you know, some of the people that he encounters, you know, aren't they sort of having a, having a better time of it as a result? It's like, well, yes, but you had to have, you know, society as it was beforehand break down um, in a catastrophic way to get to this other point. So there is always a, a sort of value trade-off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Prostituting themselves. Um, so, okay, so you, you're, the question was regarding um, the AIDS virus and being particularly striking in, in parts of sub-Saharan Africa and then whether or not some of the rest of the party against, I can repeat it, that uh, women... Um, Poor women trying to get access to money for the drugs, you mean? Yeah, or, or well, and it is, and especially if you're if you're not getting help from the top. I mean, from from the government itself too. In, in other countries, I should say, Uganda things have gotten better there now. Um, but even in a country like South Africa, which is considered to be probably one of the most advanced countries in on the African continent, um, the current president of Africa is Jacob Zuma. And he's, he himself has, has kind of bought into kind of like superstitious theories that if, if you carry this around, you mentioned about amulets before, that you won't get the disease. And, you know, that also doesn't help either um, to, to really get people educated so that they know how they get the disease and how they don't. So, so yeah, you're absolutely right. And it, but it's got to come from multiple levels, too, starting also with the, the governments, I think. Yes, ma'am. Oh, goodness, that's awful. Yeah, I think you're definitely highlighting the fact that there was so much fear yeah. existing at that time, right? I mean, a st- as a kid, I remember um, my mother used to go get her hair cut by a phenomenal hairdresser who lived in, in, in the city in Boys Town, and he, uh, he died of AIDS. And the one time he was cutting my mom's hair, he, he cut her, he nicked her neck a little bit. And, you know, my heart just thinking about it, I just, I just feel awful for him because I can't imagine what he went through. And, but my mom never went back to him again after that because she was so frightened. You know, she had three kids and she's like, it's, it's not worth it for me to get my hair cut. Although he was an unbelievably phenomenal hairdresser that's, you know, is not, is not, is definitely not, not, not worth it. Right. Um, but there was, 
Right. Political on, on many, many different fronts. Right. Political on the idea that this was striking gay people. So we're not going to we're not going to take care of them because we don't care because they got AIDS because they're gay. Right. Even though that wasn't that wasn't the case, although to be also to to say that um, there was lots of resistance initially within the gay community to closing the bathhouses where AIDS was being transmitted. Um, but eventually, though, it got to the point, I think when we get to like the, the late 80s with, again, so many people coming forward, celebrities, again, and, and I know we don't, you know, we talk about Hollywood, but in this case, I think celebrities had a, had a major transformative impact. Even even media, right? Movies um, and books. There was a book called and the, and the Band Played On that was written in 1987 about the beginning of the AIDS virus, later made it into a movie. Um, uh, Tony Kirchner's really famous uh, play that was done here at Moraine, Angels in America, about, about the AIDS virus. There was so much fear and so much um, suspicion. And, you know, again, I think a lot of you guys, you remember that, right? Not being yeah. your parents saying mm-hmm. things and like, being afraid to let you go places. And, you know, now we don't, you guys don't have any of that growing up. Thank goodness. Right? Any, uh, no, I mean, no, no. I mean, in terms of growing up, in terms of concerns, definitely not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not as, not as many concerns perhaps now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because of that sort of uh, yeah, different than the the Pocahontas sort of interpretation, right. or the sort of Hollywood of you know individuals like uh, like Bono, and you referenced earlier with uh, you know the the, the Elizabeth Taylor and, and Taylor yeah and these types yeah. of things. No, just listening to sort of this interplay and these, these these sort of two questions, and I don't necessarily want to to steal your thunder with this no, okay. uh, of thinking of, of crossovers between some of this and the uh, the deaths that that occur as a result of the Irish potato famine. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you've got this real uh, terrible and, and, and for those who are unaware the, the Irish potato famine you know strikes Ireland uh, in, in the 1840s uh, and over the course of uh, a few years uh, has resulted in, in the death of, of, of at least a million people uh, and the sort of forced migration uh, of, of many, many, many more. Uh, and, you know, you were sort of mentioning this idea of the initial blame being placed on individuals uh, who are homosexual uh, because of the nature of their sexuality, mm-hmm. uh, where, of course, that, that initial blame on the part of many within England, uh, it, on the famine within Ireland and the deaths mm-hmm. in Ireland was because, well, they're Irish. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're and so this is God's curse on yeah. the Irish, you mm-hmm. know, for sort of these types of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the government response was to not really offer that much help mm-hmm. uh, and when to offer sort of assistance. Uh, I remember reading of the uh, the work projects to, to try to get folks to work because obviously this type of horrific famine, which we're talking about this, you know, sort of saying it's destroying 80 to 90 percent of uh, the, the food supply within a country of around 7 to 8 million people. Uh, so these individuals obviously are going to have you know, a, a devastating, you know, sort of response to this uh, of, of putting individuals to work and paying them with, you know, two handfuls of corn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 12 hours of hard labor with two handfuls of corn, you you become quite susceptible to disease. Mm -hmm. This is really not going to alleviate the condition that is necessarily going on. So, yeah, absolutely, there are some crossovers. Yeah, for sure. And then, of course, that led to so many people then leaving Ireland, coming to places like the United States. And and I think it also really kind of helped shape their whole... Um, collective consciousness of, 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 of being Irish and their pride in being Irish and just having survived that and going through that as a group and kind of that t- talks a little bit about like even maybe like the whole mentality of being the survivor right and how that makes tends to, tends to make groups closer together having gone through something like that um, so other questions from the audience about disease or lovely 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 things like that hmm? Yes, sir. Do you guys 
Yeah, just talk about the benefits of like uh, diseases and the after effects, but one of the benefits of kind of during is population in check. But I, I would wonder what the I mean the counter to that I think in some ways would be, you know. Can I repeat what he said a little bit, Josh? Sure, sure. The question I guess for the statement was that um, that that these types of events, these types of incidents, have served uh, in some ways as a check uh, on on population growth uh, worldwide. Is that relatively sort of what you're arguing? Okay. Um, you know, I think the other comment to that would be that's in some ways, assuming that high amounts of population contribute to some real issues. And, and I think you can sort of can, you know, bring in individuals like Malthus and Ricardo and mm. others from the, the 18th century and the 19th century. But I don't know if the, the Malthusian crisis necessarily has ever met in that we've run out of, of, of sort of food supply. We have the food. It's a question of access to it and, and access to food that is... Uh, actually good for you. I mean, I think we have perhaps too much food in this country, you know, you could argue, uh, you know, reasonably so, uh, and, and too much food that isn't necessarily that good for you. Uh, I eat way too much of it myself. Uh, but, you know, it's that question of, you know, sub-Saharan, uh, you know, Africa and places like the, you know, the South Sudan and others that it's the ability to get access to that food uh, that is sort of the real issue. So, I, I, I'm not sure if it, it, it fully serves as a, sort of an appropriate check because, you know, we'd be sort of beginning into counterfactuals. Of, you know, we, we don't know. Uh, you know, we don't necessarily know. Uh, you know, were conditions, say, in Ireland quite, uh, quite poor uh, for many, many individuals prior to the potato famine? Absolutely. Were mortality rates quite high, uh, especially for uh, impoverished families, uh, for, for young children? Absolutely. Uh, but... You know, if the famine had never necessarily happened, would that have, you know, propelled into even worse conditions than the famine itself? Who's to know? So it's a form of natural selection is what you're saying, that basically that diseases that occur are a form of kind of weeding out the weak? That's Do you respond to that? Right. You couldn't just bring enough people over to kill 20 million people. So, you know, the whole idea that it helps, it's helped out. Yeah. 
I am a little uncomfortable with the idea of saying, like, because I, I know what you're saying. I totally do. And I guess, though, I think to myself, though, I guess as long as it's not me being naturally selected, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like, you know, whereas if it was my kid or if it was my, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's like so, it's an easy call to make if it's not our civilization. Right. <laughs> it's okay, um, but yeah. yeah. Another question over here? Um, no, or comment? Good food. But I think an important thing to, to bring to, to bring into it when you're looking at it from the from that from the scientific perspective, that's a model. You know, that's like if all things remain the same and this population growth continues to happen at this rate. When, when historians look at it different because I think when you look at the past, you find so many different variables that can come in and throw a monkey wrench at your model that it's very hard. And one of the things that, that histor a lot of historians have gotten in trouble for over the years is trying to force the facts into their nice convenient model so that they can you know, get their book published or whatever it is. But, but, in, all, but in all reality, you know, you find out, that, and, and I, to me, the study of the past gets most interesting where the model breaks down. Where it's like, hold it, what's what's going on with that? Um, and and I mean, you do get instances, and it was because it was mentioned over there that you know, yes, at times the diseases during the you know, the Middle Ages they would uh, use the Black Plague as a biological weapon. Um, there's certainly you know, it's a force multiplier for Cortez. Absolutely, I would I would say. Um, even in the 18th century, you know, there's Pontiac's Rebellion after the French and Indian War. And it, it, this one British officer, uh, Jeffrey Amherst, basically, when, when the Indians sort of came in to make peace with the British forces, uh, was coming on winter, and they were, so they were asking for food and, and any other. And so Amherst told them to, at, at what is now Pittsburgh, to give out these smallpox-ridden blankets to the Indians and basically said, that'll suit our purposes because the, the bacilli can live in clothing for some time. And it did. I mean, they're, they're, they now think that that sort of helped propel this later outbreak. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I'm not. I don't no, think we're yeah, assuming that. No. Sorry about that. Over, overpopulated, you know, you see slums of millions of people 
I guess it, I guess what I what I was thinking of is, is kind of picking back a little bit off of what, what Jim said too, is that you know at the same time, the people that are also also die off. When we have these, you know, is this all part of some sort of like this part of natural selection that they, the people get carried away? Well, then at the same token, you know, when we come across a vaccine or something which promotes life, you know, how do we know that those people that were carried off, maybe they would have contributed somehow to the promotion of, of something that could help sustain life somehow that would help, you know what I mean? So we don't always know how that's gonna how that's gonna play out. And I'm not a scientist, so I don't want to even delve into that, but. I think some of what we're getting into, you know, in terms of having discussions about, you know, public health, which seemingly is almost what we're sort of moving part of this discussion towards, of, you know, I think most folks would agree that having discussions about public health is, is fundamentally, you know, it's okay, uh, but the question of how far is that appropriate, what roles should either governments or non-state actors play, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is, is important as well. I mean, you're bringing up this, these issues of either, you know, natural sort of selection or a sort of uh, systematic checks. I mean, yeah, you could argue that there are relative, um, you know, sort of issues with that. Uh, yeah, over time, as, as, as you were saying, uh, Jim, as well. Uh, but we also, I think, have to be careful overall uh, when it comes to having these discussions of, you know, you're sort of saying this is no comment on, uh, you know, your view on intent, you know. Right. But, you know, you are one individual. Who knows? Someone else might sort of say, yeah, let's go ahead. Let's get rid of them. Uh, and, and, I, and again, I'm not saying that you are. Uh, I'm saying that, obviously, over the course of history, we have had individuals that argue that public health should be used uh, sort of in those ways. I mean, the way that I'm sort of thinking of this is, say, eugenics movements uh, mm-hmm. at the beginning of the 20th century uh, as being a very active sort of part of this. Uh, and so, you know, you see the evolution of public health in, in many Western countries at the end of the 19th century uh, and at the beginning of the 20th. Uh, and, and part of that comes this sort of view uh, that forms of selection uh, can be uh, governmentally ordered uh, and with real devastating effects on, you know, families and, and, and people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Are there other questions out there? The panel. Sure. Well, this has been I, such a cheery time. <laughs> I, I, yes, we, to leave you on that wonderful, yeah, uplifting note. Because of Black Death and, yes, and Spanish influenza and, yeah, what other wonderful disease, AIDS and polio and, yeah, any other. We, yeah, we didn't get to SARS or, like, avian flu or any of those other fun ones, but they're still out there. So maybe another 20 years we'll come Typhoid, back and have yeah. a discussion on Typhoid those. Yeah. Uh, but thank you, thank you very much yeah, for, your, for your attention and your time. And, and uh, Troy, do you have any other comments you wanted to make? And thank you to the thank you to the, the our, my fellow my fellow uh, historians here panelists and uh, thank you guys for being a great audience too. Yes, thank so you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu/library.